Thanks. Thanks, honey. That's my daughter over there clapping. My oldest daughter, Abby, is here, as is my mom, and one of my other daughters is in kids' ministry. I actually have four kids, and here's a picture of them. Uh, On the top left there is Abby, and then to the right is Caitlin. Abby's 12, Caitlin's 10. Hank is in the middle, he's two. And then Mary there is in the front, and uh, she's four. So we've got quite a, a stretch of kids. This is a picture we took just up at Oak Creek a couple weeks ago. And, uh, and I wanted to show these guys to you because I'm going to tell a few stories that connect to them because what we're talking about in this series is prayer. And prayer is very much about God's kids connecting with God as Father. Now, Mary, who you saw there just a moment ago, who just turned four this past summer, uh, back probably about a year ago, I was tucking her into bed one night, and I got down. She was in her big girl bed, so I got down by the big girl bed, and I gave her a hug, and I said, good night, honey. And she said, Daddy, when I talk to you, my heart goes into your heart. And when you talk to me, your heart goes into my heart. And I was like, honey, that's amazing. That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. And I hugged her, and then I was like, I got to write that down. (laughs) Like, that's amazing. Like, that's an amazing thing. Daddy, when I talk to you, my heart goes into your heart. And when you talk to me, my heart goes into yours. I just think that's incredible. That's what prayer is. That's what prayer is. Prayer is God's heart coming into our heart as we hear from God's word, as we breathe in the scripture. Prayer is also our heart going into God's heart as we breathe out, as we exhale in prayer. And so that's what you've been talking about in this series. I get the privilege of wrapping it up. And prayer is just simply talking to God. That's what you've been exploring. And you've been exploring about the reality that God cares about what you care about. There's a lot of things that three or four-year-old Mary talks about that I'm not necessarily inclined to care about. If some just random kid came up and talked to me, I'd go, "Eh, okay, whatever. But when Mary talks to me, ooh, that gets my attention. She's my child. She's my kid. I love and care for her. And God cares about what we care about. Now, in this series, specifically what you've been doing is looking at how Jesus prayed, right? You're calling it the praying God, that God actually, in the flesh, as the person of Jesus, modeled and demonstrated and lived a life of dependence on God through prayer. You've looked at why Jesus prayed. You've looked at how Jesus prayed. You've looked at when Jesus prayed. But today, we're going to answer this question, what did Jesus pray? What was the content of his prayers? Not what was his posture, not what was the frequency, not what were the moments that made it happen, but what did he pray? What did he pray for? What did he say? What were the things he communicated to the Father? What were the things he asked of the Father? That's what we're going to look at here today. Now, it's interesting because of all the different moments in the Gospels that you read about Jesus praying, there actually aren't that many instances where you get to have recorded what he prayed. I think a lot of that is because a lot of the moments recorded of Jesus going to pray, he went off to pray, and no one was there to hear it and thus write it down. But there are some moments, especially in John chapter 17, where we get a picture of what Jesus prayed. And the reason this matters is because this shows us how we can connect with the Father's heart. I don't know about you, but I have times when I pray and I go, I don't know if God is hearing me on this. You ever have that? You ever a moment where you pray and you feel like, this prayer might get through the ceiling, but I'm not sure. It feels like it's just bouncing off. And, and I know one of the things that I, I go, man, I just I want to make sure I pray the kinds of things that God would want to hear. 
Well, I don't know a better way to do that than to pray what Jesus prayed. Because I figure, I don't know if God wants to hear my prayers, but I know he wants to hear Jesus'. And so if I pray what Jesus prayed, I've got a good shot of him listening in. So that's what we're going to do today, is talk about five particular areas that Jesus prayed for. What did Jesus pray? Jesus prayed, we'll talk about five particular things he prayed for. But as we go before this, let's, let's pray together. Father, we delight that we can call you Father, and we thank you that you're good to us. God, we pray for you to be honored and glorified today. We ask that you would open our hearts, that we might perceive and experience wonderful things from your word. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, what did Jesus pray? Well, the first thing Jesus prayed is Jesus thanked the Father. That's number one, if you're going to write down any notes or put it on your phone. Jesus thanked the Father. Now, that's not just because it's Thanksgiving that I have to start talking about how Jesus thanked the Father, but it is appropriate. Part of what Jesus prayed for were prayers of thanksgiving. And uh, those of you who have kids, you know that you always appreciate it when your kids thank you for stuff, but you especially appreciate it when they voluntarily thank you for stuff. Right? Like with Hank, that little guy you saw a moment ago, there's just these moments where I'll, you know, we'll be having dinner, and maybe I, I cook something, and, and he'll just in the middle of dinner go, thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. And I go, oh, buddy, you're welcome. Right? That is so much better than when I have to go, what do you say? Thank you, Daddy. Right? When he just says it on its own, it's like, oh, this actually is meaningful to him. And there are some moments that you see as you look at the life of Jesus where Jesus prayed both spontaneous and intentional moments of praying, giving thanks. The first one I want to look at is in Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10, just before this passage that we'll read here in a moment, uh, Jesus has sent out uh, 72 disciples. He sent them out in his power, and they have been able to do amazing, miraculous works just like Jesus did. They were able to heal people. They were able to cast out demons. They were able to have incredible power. And they came back in the passage just before this, and they go, Jesus, this is amazing. We, we just saw incredible things. I mean, even the demons were subject to us. This was incredible. And Jesus says to them, kind of a teaching, a little warning. He says, hey, don't, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. But then right after that, this is what Jesus says. In that same hour, this is the next verse. So right after that, so he warns them, says, hey, just be careful. Just be delighted in that you're a kid of God. Don't delight in all the stuff that God does through you. But then he says, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Here's what Jesus says. He says, God, thank you. There's all these learned people. There's all these wise and understanding scholars. There's all these people who have memorized these huge swaths of the Hebrew scriptures. And that's not who you revealed yourself to. You revealed yourself to a bunch of Yahoo fishermen. These little children. And Jesus over and over in the, in the Gospels talks about how if you want to enter the kingdom, you have to enter like a little child. These, and you just get this. The disciples are like in wonder. Wow, wow, look at what he did. And Jesus goes, thank you. Thank you, Father, for revealing yourself. Jesus saw something in a spontaneous moment that delighted him. 
He saw the faith of his disciples. He saw the wonder of his disciples. He saw how God had worked through his disciples. Jesus was thrilled, and in the moment, he said, God, thank you. Do you thank God spontaneously? I mean, I know a lot of us probably have the moment at Thanksgiving where we go, okay, everybody, what are you thankful for? I hope if you're a child of God, that's not the only time you're doing that. An annual prayer of obligatory thanksgiving. Hopefully every time you're delighted by some great taste, by some great experience, by some new discovery, you go, wow, God, thank you. There's also an intentional kind of thanksgiving that Jesus offers. In John 11, 41 and 42, after he's, or as he's raising Lazarus, here's what he says. It says, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe you sent me. So Jesus here, in an intentional moment, he's thought about this. He's going, okay, I'm going to raise this guy from the dead, but I want to thank God that he hears me. Thank God that he answers my prayer. And I want people to hear me thanking God because that's an important thing. Let me ask you, are you thankful? Because get this. This isn't just about feeling thankful. We're going to pray what Jesus prayed. It's not just about feeling thankful. It's about giving thanks. You know the difference? It's about expressing it. It's about saying it. And I hope you have a heart of gratitude. Because listen, a heart of entitlement and a heart of gratitude, they actually say the same thing. A heart of entitlement and a heart of gratitude both say, why me? The heart of entitlement says, why me? Why did I have to have this? Why did this have to go this way? Didn't I deserve this? The heart of gratitude says, why me? Why me? Why would I get to see this? Why would I get to experience this? Why would I get to be loved like this? Why would I get to have God provide for me like this? Why me? And the heart of gratitude should overflow in a words of prayer because Jesus thanked the Father. Here's the second thing Jesus prayed for, is Jesus asked for God's glory. Jesus thanked the Father, but Jesus also asked for God's glory. Look at what it says in John 12, 28. Jesus, just a very short prayer here, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. In John 17, which the whole chapter is actually a prayer of Jesus, it's the longest recorded prayer in the scriptures. Some people call it the high priestly prayer. Jesus begins that in John 17, 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that he may glorify you. Now, in these verses we've looked at, Jesus is saying, glorify, glorify your name, glorify me that I might glorify you. Now, we don't talk in our day and age about glorify, we don't use that word very often, right? But there tends to be kind of two ways to think about it. One way that we speak about glorifying something is, is, is trying to make something seem better than it is, right? So one of the ways, I was thinking, where do we, where do we hear People use the word glorify. And you might say, like, you might hear someone say, that video game glorifies violence. You might hear something like that. That movie glorifies this sort of life. This, that movie glor, right? And, and what we say when we're saying that is we're saying that, that video game makes violence seem better than it is. 
right? That's one way to talk about it, is that glorifying is making something look better, look bigger than it is. But the other way to think about it is that glorifying something is to allow you to see it as it truly is. Another word that sometimes people use is magnify. There's psalms that say, oh, magnify the Lord with me and exalt his name together. Well, think about this. There's two ways to magnify something. You can magnify something like a telescope, which what that does is takes a huge object out in space, right? I don't have to tell you all up here in Flagstaff what telescopes are. I think you all know about those, right? It takes these huge objects in space and makes them look small so that you can see them. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus, rather, is saying, I'm going to look at this like a magnifying glass, taking this thing and helping it to see even bigger than it is. Help me glorify your name, is what Jesus says. Jesus wanted God to be glorified, to be seen as he truly is, to be praised, to be exalted, to be delighted in. Now, I don't know if you maybe feel like C.S. Lewis felt when you hear that. You might think like C.S. Lewis did. He's the author and uh, wrote lots of different books and lots of different essays and lots of different things. C.S. Lewis, as he was kind of early in his faith, he, he kept hearing the Bible, especially in the Psalms, how it would constantly have these commands, praise God, praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. And he said, that just, that just feels funny. Like, why is God always telling us to praise him? And actually, C.S. Lewis thought of it like it felt like God was this old lady who kept, like, asking for compliments. Don't I look pretty? Isn't this nice? Doesn't my hair look good? Right? Like, come on. Like, if you're that great, why do you need to keep saying praise him, praise him, praise him? So Lewis pondered this, and he thought about this, and he kind of rolled this around in his brain, and... Here's what he said. He, he, after reflecting on this, he said, I'd never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. Whoa, think about that phrase for a moment. Praise is inner health made audible. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? Aren't these mashed potatoes incredible? Isn't that the best turkey you've ever had? Right? You, just, you, you not only overflow with the spontaneous praise of the things you enjoy, but you tell other people, wasn't that movie? Oh my gosh, have you ever seen anything like it? He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise does not merely express but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. So why does God tell us to praise him? Why did Jesus want us to glorify God, to be focused on that? Because Jesus enjoyed God. Jesus enjoyed the Father. Jesus enjoyed praising him. And his delight was fulfilled and expanded as he praised the Father. Are you praying for more delight in God? It would be a great thing to just have a regular part of your prayer. God, help me to delight in you. Help me to praise you. 
I actually drove up this morning super early. <laughs> I was nervous something was going to happen on the way, and uh, someone else was going to have to do an impromptu, spontaneous sermon. But the reason I didn't come up last night is because I had a friend get married, and, and it was amazing because the pastor who was marrying them had asked both of them, what's your kind of desire for your marriage? And the guy, Tony, he said, well, my desire for my marriage is Psalm 1611. In Psalm 1611, it says that in God's presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then he asked the bride the same thing, and she said, well, my heart's desire for this marriage is Psalm 27, verse 4, which says, one thing I ask, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord. What were they doing? They were both saying, I just want to delight in God. It's interesting, both of them had had marriages that had broken up, and they've now found each other years later and are blending these families together. And this theme kept coming up throughout the marriage of, I'm not getting married to you because I need you. I have what I need in God. I'm getting married to you because I love you and because I delight in you and because of the delight that we have in God, we want to see that expand and multiply. Do you delight in God? Fill your heart with the praise of God like Jesus did. Here's a third thing that Jesus prayed for. So he didn't just thank his father. He didn't just pray for his father to be glorified. But third, Jesus pleaded for his followers to be kept. Jesus pleaded for his followers to be kept. And so here's where, if you have your Bible, I want to just invite you to turn to John chapter 17. Again, these verses will be on the screen. But in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 11, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And here's what he says. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus' main prayer as he's praying for his disciples, as he's praying for his followers, is that God would keep them. Do you see that in verse 11? Keep them in your name. Verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. God, you have a plan for this. Verse 13, but now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just like I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. That word means set them apart, consecrate them, ordain them, make them holy. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Get this. Jesus wants his disciples kept, but he doesn't want his disciples safe. A lot of times we want to keep, we want to protect, we want to guard the things that are important to us. And that usually means keeping them safe, keeping them out of danger, keeping them out of the way of people or things that might seek to hurt them. But Jesus actually says here, listen, the world hasn't liked them because the world didn't like me. But God, I'm not asking you to keep them in the world. I'm actually hoping that you will send them into the world. Just like you sent me, I'm sending them. But God, as they go, as they go into enemy territory, as they go into the war that I came into, that's what we just sang about a bit ago, didn't we? 
This is war. When Jesus arrived, he was declaring war on Satan's sin and death. And if we're his people, we're joining him in that war. And Jesus sends us out into that battle. But he says, Father, keep them. Keep them joyful. Do you see that in verse 13? But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Being kept by God means being joyful. He asks them to be sanctified, verse 17, to be set apart, to be holy. God, I want them to go into the world, but I don't want them to look like the world. I want them to look like my people, speaking the language that those people speak, loving the way those people love, engaging in culture the way those people engage, but not exactly the same way. God, keep them faithful to me. Keep them in the truth and send them out. My father-in-law was just in town to visit, my father-in-law and mother-in-law, and uh, it's been hard because we, Molly, my wife, is from a big family. She's the oldest of five kids and really close to them. All her siblings are her best friends, and so anytime one of her family members comes out, just life goes on hold while they're here. And uh, Jeff, my father-in-law, he, he does the same thing every time we say goodbye. Usually I drive him to the airport, and I get the bag out of the car, and we wheel it up to the sidewalk. And we give each other a hug. We say, hey, it was great to see you. He says, yeah, it was great to see you. And you know what he says? Take care of that family of yours. Take care of that family of yours. And I just picture that what Jesus is doing in this prayer is he's saying, God, I'm getting back on the plane. Take care of this family of yours. Take care of them. Protect them. Watch over them. Make them like me. Make them holy. God, don't, don't, don't keep them in a little bubble, but, but get them out there, but keep them, protect them. God, take care of this little family of yours. Jesus prayed that his people, his followers, would be kept. Fourth, Jesus told the Father how he really felt. Jesus told the Father how he really felt. How many of you know that Jesus appreciates honesty? There's this great story in the Gospels where uh, one of uh, the early disciples, uh, I think it's Peter, goes off and he, he finds uh, Andrew, and Andrew is, uh, you know, all maybe it's Andrew, I'm, I'm getting some of the names mixed up, but he goes and he tells one of the other guys, hey, we think we found the Messiah, and the guy goes, you got to be kidding me, from Nazareth? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. And the guy shows up, and Jesus is not like, hey, you insulted my whole family in friend circle. Jesus is like, a true Israelite! Yeah, like he sees this childlike honesty in, in this disciple and goes, yeah, that's my guy. Jesus loves honesty. We had a great moment with Mary a number of months ago. That's that four-year-old of mine, and we were at Costco. And I just, I'm praying for Flagstaff that someday you guys will get Costco. Uh, you know, I, I come up here a number of times a year, and every time I think, man, wish there was a Costco here. But you all know what Costco is, and uh, if you've had the privilege of being at a Costco, you might have seen their muffins. Ever seen Costco muffins? I mean, they're spectacular. They're, like, huge. And, and so we're sitting in the food court one day at a Costco, and, and Mary sees this woman at the table next to us with this huge package of muffins. And so she gets down from our table, and she goes over to her table, and she climbs up on the bench, and she says... Can I please have a muffin? <laughs> and that horrible woman said no. 
no, you may not have a muffin. And I was like, Satan? How do you turn this little girl down? I mean, this girl had the audacity to just say, can I have a muffin, right? And she said, no. I told that story at our church, and I had a number of people bring muffins for Mary. I started, you know, every Sunday I'm coming home with muffins. All right, Mary, I, I, I got to be careful of the stories I tell. But, but, but I just thought, you know, that is such a picture of the honesty that Jesus loves. Jesus loves that like, kind of childlike faith. Jesus loves that ability to just be honest. And so therefore, it's not surprising that Jesus also, in his own prayers, is honest. He doesn't just say the right thing. He says how he feels. Look at these verses. John 12, 27. Jesus is in the final days before his crucifixion. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I've come to this hour. He says, my soul's troubled. My soul's troubled. God, I'm I'm troubled. He says a similar thing in Mark chapter 14. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane, this night before Jesus is betrayed. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Now listen, I think we're so quick to go to the last sentence that we forget the honesty of the sentence before it. Let this cup pass from me. Jesus knew that he was staring into a cup of God's wrath that would be poured out on him for the sins of everyone who would ever believe in him. He knew that he, though he was sinless, would take on the sin of his people. And he knew the agony that it would be to be abandoned by the Father. So he prayed, God, Take this cup from me. The scripture says actually that he did it three times. He was honest. Now he knew the answer, which is why he went on to say, not what I will, but what you will. But he was still honest. I had this moment just the other day. We, we uh, you know, I think it was the, the day after Thanksgiving, so Friday, sitting there on the couch that night, and Hank goes, Daddy, ice cream? Ice cream? can I have some ice cream? And I said, buddy, no, you can't have any ice cream. (laughs) And then he came into my arms. He was sitting right next to me. He said, daddy, can I have ice cream? No. And then he cried into me. Listen, that's what it is to be honest with God. Say, this is what I want. Okay, even if the answer is no, I'm going to cry. I'm not going to go, well, I didn't want it anyway. And I'm not going to pretend. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, I don't like that. I wanted that. But I'm going to cry into my father's arms. I'm going to move toward him. Even my expression of anger and frustration and sadness toward God, get this, is an expression of faith. Because I'm saying, you're the one that can do it. You're the one that has the power. You're the one that is in charge. And even though I don't like this, I'm going to go toward you in honest prayer. Jesus did this to the very end. Look at what it says in Mark 15. On the cross, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
even to the end, even in expressing the anguish of being forsaken, he's still doing it to God. There's an amazing place in Jeremiah 2. You should read Jeremiah 2 because it's this place where God is confronting the nation of Israel because of their lack of faith. He's confronting them for how they've abandoned him, how they've walked away from him, how they are not trusting him. And one of the things that God says as evidence that they're not trusting him is, I've sent some pretty rotten stuff your way, and none of you have complained to me about it. He actually says, all this stuff happened, and no one said, where's the Lord? And therefore, I don't think you have faith. Because if you had faith when it went wrong, you'd get in my face. Right? Some of you, any of you baseball fans, I grew up playing baseball, and there's something that amazes me about baseball, is that when a bad call is made, the, the coach will run out in his uniform. Why baseball managers wear uniforms, no one knows. But he'll run out in his uniform, and he'll get up in the, in the umpire's face. And you know what I've never seen? I've never seen an umpire change the call. It's never happened. But you know why the, you know why the manager does that? is the manager does it to tell his players, I got your back. I care about this. I, I can't change it, but I'm on your side. Listen, if you don't ever find yourself getting in God's face when you're disappointed, getting in God's face when it's still the prayer hasn't been answered, getting in God's face and saying, God, why? Where are you? That is not an act of unbelief, but quite the contrary. If you don't ever do that, you're lacking faith, and you're not praying like Jesus. And here's the last thing that Jesus prayed. Jesus finally, and this is such good news for us, Jesus asked the Father to forgive those who killed him. One of his other last sayings on the cross, Luke chapter 23, says this. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. In that moment, he was specifically talking to the thief on his right and on his left who were also on the cross and were ridiculing him. And he was talking about the crowd who was hurling insults at him. And he was talking about the soldiers who had nailed him there and put on the crown of thorns and mocked him in a royal robe over his flesh-torn back. And he was speaking of the religious leaders who had condemned him to death for being the son of God. And he was speaking to Judas who'd betrayed him and he was speaking about Peter and all the other disciples who'd walked away. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you know what else? He was praying for you because it was your sin and it was my sin. It is your sin and it is my sin that sent him there. While we were still sinners, Paul writes in Romans, Christ died for us. So when Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, he's praying for you, he's praying for me. This, by the way, is why we can pray at all. Jesus has opened the door. Jesus has given us access to the throne of God. Imagine your prayer is like this. Imagine your prayer is a poor beggar, tattered clothes, dirty face, grime under the fingernails, 
the smell of alcohol and body odor. And your prayer in that condition comes to the gates of the kingdom of God. And you say, open, please, I need to see the king. And the guards stand there firm and they don't even acknowledge that you're there. And then you say, Jesus, I, I come in the name of Jesus. And the guards snap to attention and the gates fly open and you go into the presence of God where you are heard, where you are seen, where you are known, where you are identified as a son or a daughter of God and where God the Father, because of the grace of God the Son, invites you into his presence and fills you with the gift of his Holy Spirit and welcomes you and receives you. Listen, we are forgiven because he was forsaken. And so we have the freedom and joy to come to God, to thank him, to ask that he'd be glorified, to plead for us and each other to be kept, to be honest with him and to say what we really feel and to confess our sins because Jesus even prayed for that. Listen, Jesus prayed for you. I want to show you one more verse in John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus said, I do not ask for these only, not just my disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's you. And he invites you to pray so that like Mary, your heart would go into his heart and his heart would come into your heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you hear us because of Jesus. God, some of us today are thrilled and delighted and overflowing with gratitude. God, some of us today are really frustrated, really tired, really anxious, really afraid. God, for all of us, we need your presence. We need your care. We need your love. Would you meet us here in this time? Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he opened the way for us to be heard. We pray in his name. Amen.